how you been, Armin? How how you been? It, it's it's been good comparatively. I mean, so far, I I think I have avoided the COVID, but on the other hand, maybe we just had it and didn't notice, which would also be good because the the numbers here in spring were a bit scary. But people just stopped caring, like most other places <laughs> in the world. They were like, we're we're done with this now. Just yeah. Wow. So things are reopening. Summer is coming. Life is good. Nice. And you're in the Netherlands? In the Netherlands, yes. Nice. Close to Amsterdam, but not quite in, which is good because Amsterdam gets terribly crowded with tourists. Oh, I hate those. Those pesky <laughs> tourists. One understands why, but there's so many areas in the Netherlands which aren't Amsterdam and which are also nice. So, you know, let them crowd Amsterdam. That's don't tell them. Yeah, don't tell them. Yeah. Welcome to the Mac DevOps YVR podcast. This podcast is about the Mac DevOps YVR conference in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. We interview guests and discuss topics around managing Macs using open source software products inspired by DevOps. Our goal is to encourage developers and IT to work together to solve problems for our community. For more information, see our website, mdoyvr.com. This is the Mac DevOps podcast. Well, welcome to the Mac DevOps podcast. We're so uh, excited to have you. I'm so glad to be here. And thanks for accepting to uh, give a talk at Mac DevOps uh, YVR 2022. Whoa. Well, yes. I mean, last year was such a blast, and I really, really wanted to do that again. I, I think the, the model for the online conference that you have put together is uh, definitely different and exciting, and, and I, I'd love to be a part of that. Well, definitely, uh, we uh, re rely on the awesome participation of uh, people with the desire to share their knowledge and to share some hard-won uh, facts or things that they've uh, learned along the way. Uh, you certainly uh, fall into that camp. You're always trying to share what you've learned. Yeah, well, one, one does one's best. At some point, it's kind of interesting because people start to expect that from you, and there's a <laughs> bit of a pressure going on. Which is probably a good thing, because I don't know anybody who's ever actually written stuff. It, it does require a lot of motivation and probably yeah. a good amount of pressure to actually get things done. Well, on behalf of the Mac DevOps community, when's the next book coming out? Come on, Armin. Oh, <laughs> that's the wrong question. No, please. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You, you've, uh, no. you've, you've published so many. And I can, can rhyme off all the titles off the top of my head because I'm so well prepared. But definitely, uh, there's that uh, beginning with Terminal and Shell Scripts. That was the newest, latest one, right? That is, that is correct. And, and that has been doing well. And I am actually uh, have an update sitting here. And I'm actually waiting for WWDC to see what, Apple, uh, what new surprises Apple has in store for us. And mm. I'll incorporate those and have an update for that. And uh, maybe putting together that update will motivate me to finish the other book that is half written and, um, yeah, needs to be finished. Nice. Well, I've definitely collected all the books that you've written, um, even though they seem like maybe they're basic books or something like that. I feel like we all learn, like, you know, whether it's DevOps for Dummies or Unix for Dummies, or I think intro books are perfect for reestablishing your baseline, sanity checking what you do know, and maybe actually learning a heck of a lot more. and. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to put those together. I, I mean, I, I do try to aim them at somebody who has not been exposed to the topic yet. But I, I also always try to add a few things in there that just go, that 
bit more in depth than the basic knowledge. Because we all know, especially as admins and in DevOps, the learning curves are always steep. Definitely. You always you think you're starting at the shallow end of the pool, but it's very steep and your your drop off is very quick. So I, I try to walk that line but also add in a few things like, yeah, if you do this for a while you probably need to consider this and you probably have to look at these. My my oldest book is now six years old. It has gotten a lot of updates, but I've been looking at that now. It's the packaging book. Right, right, right. And um, while the, the actual process of packaging hasn't changed much over the years, thank goodness, <laughs> the, the entire environment in which we use packaging has changed so much that I am looking at that with a, a very strong side eye and think, you know, that needs a big update. Probably once I finish the half-written one, that's going to be my next project. I wonder if there's is there something in there um, about like you know different architectures like the, when the discussion came up in Monkey about how do we distribute software with different architectures and then you know old man Nagel says well you know we've done this in the past you know with the PowerPC and Intel you know it's like the the community you know, we we forget that we've been through a few things before and uh, so uh, you know like oh we have already got this built into Monkey how to handle different you know architectures and you know have to remind the young kids. You know, and then also have to remind ourselves how we did it. You know, how do we distribute things from different architectures? So I wonder if that adds a different element into the packaging story a little bit, the the M1, the Apple Silicon stuff. Yeah, it was quite impressive that Monkey just still had that built in <laughs> and just functional from the last transition, which is 12, 13 years ago. I mean, that's, yeah. that's just more, 15 by now. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> tech debt <laughs> yeah and the the amazing thing is if you're talking about packages in in specifics i mean the macOS packaging system had the same functionality built in all the time so technically you could have built fat packages with powerpc and intel but i mean after i don't know lion or so not many people cared about powerpc anymore so no it's not in the book but i do have a post on my weblog where I describe um, which flags you have to set and how you can set them. And it was kind of interesting because if you built a package on Catalina, and some people might still be doing that, then those flags aren't set correctly. And when you take that package and try to install it on an Apple M1 or Apple Silicon Mac, it will assume it's an Intel binary and prompt for Rosetta, regardless of the contents, whether the contents are universal or not. If the flags aren't set correctly, the package might prompt the, you have to install Rosetta if you haven't installed it yet. And many admins and developers with vendors ran into that. And you have to know the proper invocations to add those flags if you build the package on Catalina. But if you build it on Big Sur and higher, it was just put in magically. But then again, it was put in whether your binary was universal or not. So you want to do it the right way and get the right flags so the system knows what it's getting. We certainly added an element of fun and surprise uh, in the last year or so or two years about whether you know, you're installing software and you're like, I want Rosetta. I want to make sure Rosetta's on there. How do I do that? And then the, I don't want Rosetta on these machines. I want this in software installed as M1 or native or, you know, <laughs> it's uh, the, the two uh, push and pull of those uh, deploying software fun problems. 
I, I do hope that we one day get the story out of Apple on why the Rosetta is an extra installation that we need to trigger afterwards. There's been a lot of theories. I I honestly don't know what the reason could be, but I would love to know that story one day. So if anybody from Apple is listening, please. I mean, I'm scripting OS X on the Mac Admin Slack, and I have iMessage, which is encrypted. Let me know. <laughs> My theory is that uh, this is the first time Apple's ever trying to actually save space on their tiny little hard drives that they ship with their computers. I think it's accidental OPSEC or accidental uh, security uh, from living on the land. They're trying to clear off all the scripting languages and Rosetta is an extra tool that someone could use if it was always there. So I'm going to say it's going to be a security thing, but probably accidental. <laughs> or maybe it's just a miscommunication between departments. <laughs> I, I don't think that's the intention, but it does have the advantage of shaming developers who haven't transitioned to universal binaries yet into, oh, look, this one triggered it. I do look at the install logs and go, aha, aha, this is triggering Rosetta. <laughs> yeah, Apple's had a habit of, of shaming developers over the years, for sure. Well, and they did with the Python removal. They did some very intense shaming over <laughs> yeah. the months. And even so, come 12.3, there were still some developers that weren't prepared. Oh, yeah. There was a couple examples uh, uh, of some security vendors and different vendors that, you know, that uh, were using Python that... I mean, I think Monkey Report was definitely one of the last to sort of fix the problem, you know, a few a few months ago. Just like, oh, okay, we have to do this now. It's coming up. Like, we've talked about it. Um, let's ship our own Python. And then PHP disappeared. And then those people running Monkey Report PHP have to like, okay, fix your PHP problem or run it somewhere else, you know. And yeah, a lot of changes. Maybe, maybe we live in interesting times for sure. I was going to ask if notarization is another big change to the packaging process from six years ago. Yes, it definitely is. And I do think that in one of the last updates for the book, I did insert some stuff about it because Apple introduced that in Mojave, Catalina. I'd have to look it up. At least it's, it's been a few years past. It, it definitely changes things. I, I think it's, it's a useful additional layer. We, we actually use the notarization in Installimator to verify the source of the package. So that's where you see the usefulness of it, because we can not just verify, hey, this is a signed package, but it actually who it was signed by. And with the developer ID code, we can be sure that yes, this was signed by Microsoft and not somebody else. And the uh, auto package, for example, has been doing this for years, which is also a, a good thing. I don't know for sure, but they were among the first to detect when certain uh, third-party software had been hijacked, like Handbrake and um, the BitTorrent client that were hijacked in the past. You can you can check that and verify that if you actually check the signature and the developer ID, which Gatekeeper does not do. Yeah, how is the Solimator project going? Um, you had any time as a now open source uh, maintainer amongst your many other hats to maintain it? Been blown away by the acceptance and adoption of it. I thought this was a fun tool that we built internally. In my previous job, I worked at a um, Apple reseller here in the Netherlands, and and that was just something that was really useful for us. And I saw like we have 
eight or nine different scripts that download and install something, and I can generalize that. And I was working with a, a coworker on that, and and once we had the generalization, we could have like 50 apps in there. It was pretty cool. And I thought, well, others might think this is cool. Right now, we, the Installimator knows about more than 400 apps. Whoa. Wow. And most of those I didn't add. So this is all open source contributions from other people. And it's gotten so busy, I'm not the only maintainer anymore. We have a team of four maintainers. And we're, we're struggling to keep up. Um, I think that's a good problem to have, but it's, it's really cool. Does over 400 apps for Mac? <laughs> <laughs> Mac OS. Wow, congratulations. That's awesome. It's a very cool project that basically your, what, your tagline is one script to rule them all or something. Uh, yeah, that's how it started. As I said, we had like this bunch of different scripts that would download and install something, and none of them did any security verification. So that was the one thing that I, I wanted to have. I think I can do that in one script. And I want to verify that I'm actually downloading the right thing. Right. That was my motivation originally. And since then, it's grown. It does so many other things now. It checks if it's an update. And it shows a dialogue. It quits the app or can quit the app before it does the update and things like that. And besides all the amazing checks, the motivation was to have a script that would run uh, and download a bunch of packages directly from the source rather than sort of an auto package to monkey sort of or Jamf or other deployments service where maybe you're setting up a Mac and you don't have a deployment service set up of some kind or maybe you're just doing a quick setup or uh, that was the original problem you were trying to solve or? Yeah, as an MSP, especially with smaller deployments, Often the requirement isn't to have a specific version or to verify versions before they come out. You just want the latest version to be installed when the user goes into your self-service app and installs something, or even at the original deployment when you get the machine out of the box with zero-touch deployment. You just want the latest version. And with uh, cloud app clients, like here we have Discord open, you need the latest version. You don't really have a choice. Otherwise, it won't really work properly with a server because that's where all the magic happens. And and for these kinds of apps, I mean, these scripts have been around for a long time. I remember Rich Charton used to have a Adobe Flash installation script back when that was still a thing. <laughs> and and Are you still installing Flash? <laughs> <laughs> well, now... now I would not recommend just downloading and installing Flash. Really don't. <laughs> but back in the days, that was something that was something that was updated so frequently that having an automation for it was really useful. Yeah, I mean, I've seen certain versions of that in the in the sort of web dev world uh, where people have like sort of like a GitHub script or a bootstrapping thing that may launch Homebrew and do a bunch of things or or just download a bunch of like, you know, five or 10 or a dozen apps, you know, and certainly it's, it seems easier to, to run a script than to say, OK, well, set up Monkey or uh, enroll in Jamf or set up another deployment service, uh, you know, just to get some apps. Uh, so. But you're, you're using, say, both, I guess. You're, you want to quickly bootstrap and get a bunch of stuff on there. And then I suppose where you can enroll machines into whatever <laughs> the system is, is managing them, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, it depends on the, on the deployment, on the requirements of the customer, but also um, on the app itself. For certain apps, it's just easier. And I don't have to bother, even though with auto package, it's, it's 
can be very easy to keep uploading the latest versions and everything. And with Installimate, I just don't have to bother about that at all. It just gets it directly from the vendor. I don't have to rehost anything. Is it meant to be run manually by an admin like the first time you set up, or is it something that you set up with LaunchD and run all the time uh, on the back background of these machines? Or Most of the time, I think it's meant to be run from the enrollment process. And um, originally, we wrote it for Jamf, but we have generalized it enough, and I know that people are using it with Mozile and Adigy, and somebody even talked to me about making it work with Workspace ONE, though that apparently had some challenges. But it's it, the script itself is generalized enough that it can run as standalone or orchestrated from an MDM. Gotcha. MDM, I've heard that word before. You know, it's come up a lot uh, recently. Uh, <laughs> I've heard it in these ads for Collide or something, something about MDM being terrible or bad or something. But uh, <laughs> yeah, MDM being the uh, mobile device management, or I don't know, have we rewritten that acronym yet? Um, but the required piece by Apple to manage machines. <laughs> yeah, and it's, as you say, it's pretty much mandatory these days. There's There's no way around that. And of course, when we say MDM, that's a generalization because most management solutions use the MDM protocol, but then they add stuff on top. And when I say orchestrate scripts and stuff like that, that is actually not part of the MDM protocol. That is only from management systems that add that functionality on top. Right, right. Yeah, we have all these value adds, either agents or, you know different things that different MDMs yeah. and companies provide, which leads us perfectly into uh, you've had a change in the last couple of years. You've uh, now working for a, a large uh, megacorp. Yes, though so <laughs> I, I, I checked the stocks today and it's it's not quite as large anymore, but so are many other companies. So that's, that's fine, I guess. Well, congratulations. So, uh, well, thank you. I have been working with Jamf product since a long time, back when it was called Casper. Um, I remember I was at Apple as a consulting engineer, and there was this thing called Casper, which was really useful. And we started <laughs> recommending it to customers and, and obviously working with it as, as in, in test deployments and stuff ourselves. And then I was an admin at University of Southern California, where we managed several hundred dual-booted iMacs with Casper, and we pushed out the... Mac partition and then the Windows partition, and that was quite the adventure, which I wouldn't recommend to anyone, but we <laughs> made it work. Well, dual booting doesn't work anymore with Apple Silicon, so there's that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, kids today won't know the pain that the, the people have suffered. <laughs> yeah. so, so now I uh, work for Jamf with an amazing team as a consulting engineer. It's great. I get exposed to really interesting customers doing interesting things with Jamf, and I get to help them with their workflows and automation. That's awesome. I mean, um, any company is uh, so lucky to have you. You're such a wonderful person, and you love to share your knowledge, and you're a, a great encyclopedia of knowledge, which leads me to uh, your, your talk this year is going to be a challenge, the Encyclopedia of macOS Automation Tools. Yes, it's definitely going to be a challenge, <laughs> especially since we only have 15 minutes. I I am I am still struggling with how to compress that, but I, I will take on that challenge. There's a 30-minute block and try to keep, you know, between 15 minutes and 30 minutes, but, you know, 
I know you could talk for hours, but we could, we could, you know, we, we let me know how you go with your uh, personal challenge. This is the, uh, <laughs> this is the, uh, we only have medium shirts challenge. You know, it's like basically everybody gets like 15 <laughs> minutes. <and> it's like <laughs> no, I, I will take that uh, challenge and I will definitely try to do something useful in 15 minutes, not just compress it. I have done this as parts of longer presentations in the past, but then the last time I did a presentation on stage somewhere was three years ago, like everyone. So, uh, and as we talked earlier about the demise of Python and um, probably the other runtimes, they aren't gone yet from macOS, but I think their clock is ticking as well. And, and I want to give the overview on where we are, what we can expect to happen. Maybe we will know more after WWDC. So I will have to quickly update my slides. Yeah, we uh, we managed to duck that a little bit every year. To and we don't know when we're if we're going to be the same week as Dub Dub or you know like one after one before. So this week, this time, it's going to be the one after. So the sound of yeah. quickly updating talks. <laughs> yeah. So I this is the overview I want to bring and see what is out there. Swift is getting more and more interesting. I personally think for these things, but it is. As I work more and more with Swift, it is a powerful but complex language. They started out with this idea that, oh, it's going to be simple, and no, it's not. <laughs> but it's powerful, definitely is, and it's what Apple is driving everyone towards. So I think just for that reason, we should at least expose ourselves to it and um, see what it can deliver. Yeah, Greg did a talk a couple of years ago about rewriting some Python bits in Monkey to Swift and then wrote a nice little talk about that adventure. How's your Swift adventure been? Are you um, are you writing some stuff in Swift now? or I, I have been and I am. And um, it, it's kind of interesting that my personal thing is in the past, whenever I had to parse JSON or property lists or any of these complex data structures, Bash is not the right tool anymore, or shell scripting, or Z shell, because oh, they're man. all pretty much the same. I just wrote this huge app using JQ and Bash, and definitely Bash. I was like, I'm not, I'm not, even though I own your nice little book on uh, Z shell, uh, Z shell. Um, yeah, Bash, JQ, and then there's this cool app called Joe. Yeah, man, Bash is the only thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, a I'm a dinosaur. Uh, sorry. Anyway, yes. No, Swift. but even in that case, you use uh, JQ and Joe or JO. Yeah. yeah. Because directly manipulating JSON in what is pre-installed on macOS with Bash is, is really a pain. And, and that's the point where I'm like, okay, I probably should be doing this in Python or Swift. Python is fun, and I still use it every once in a while. But in the past two years or so, I've really been forcing myself towards Swift so that I can, I can learn it. And it's been really interesting, especially as um, automation more and more means talking with APIs. It's not the automation on the Mac alone anymore. We talk with APIs of all kinds. Then you have all these HTTP requests and everything, and, and curl only gets you so far. Oh man, yeah, this project that I did recently was with curl and, and talking to online databases and that was a learning curve, just like talking to a service, getting records back, examining them, sending stuff back, you know, it's like, there's a lot going on in this cloud thing, you know. <laughs> yeah, more and more we're gonna our, our scripts are not just uh, interrogating Mac OS, but we're uh, talking to online services via APIs or another 
functions. So uh, it's time to skill up, everybody. Whoa. Yeah, I mean, that's the fun part, right? It's always something new to learn. Yeah, I, I just I feel like there's never enough time to learn all these new things. That's why we <laughs> definitely we have uh, Mac DevOps, uh, Mac Dev, uh, the Mac admin Slack, uh, all the conferences and 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 groups that we can and have. You know, we need more and more because we need to come up with excuses to hang out, get together, learn, share what we've learned. And on that topic, um, have you had any favorite Mac DevOps talks in the past, or any other talks that stick out for you as being? Uh, a fun moment. There is always so many, and I always have this queue of things that I want to watch. <laughs> it, it's not Mac DevOps, but the one thing that really thrilled me, and I'm not the only one, um, was at Macaduck this spring, just a few weeks ago. Somebody did a great presentation on wireless networking and how it works on the Mac and how you should set up your networks, whether it's for the company or for at home. Interesting. And I thought I knew a lot about Wi-Fi, but I was watching that and furiously taking notes and then re-watching it because it was so good. Was it Dan Jones? Yes, that sounds about right. Designing Wi-Fi networks for Apple. Well, for Mac OS, I assume. Nice. Well, yeah, it's always like these fun, interesting talks that uh, jump out at us sometimes. I, I think like you're going to have a, a hacking night or something like that, right? Yes, definitely. So one thing I would always like to have is there are so many of these conferences that put up their um, sessions on YouTube. And wouldn't it be nice to have an app that would present those and you could build your personal queue of Mac admin sessions from all these conferences? That would be very cool. I was definitely always jealous of the uh, Mac Sysadmin uh, Apple TV app. I've used it to, yes. uh, instead of like, I'm like, what should I watch tonight? Should it be something on Netflix? I'm like, no, I need to catch up on my Mac Sysadmin queue. So that it's always helpful to have that, that little app there. And because I have to go in the YouTube app and look for Mac DevOps channel. And I've been rewatching all the Mac DevOps talks too. And better than sometimes watching uh, mindless TV is watching some of the talks because there's been so many great talks, and uh, sometimes during the conference, you can't always appreciate them at the moment because we do try to do so much stuff live at the moment, <laughs> and it can be a lot. So uh, we we do publish those videos so that people can take their time to uh, you know to watch them. So it should be interesting to see how this develops going forward. I mean, I don't think we will have a fully live WWDC ever again. They're doing a great job with the videos. I mean, exactly. The and videos it's, are it's awesome. so much easier. They don't have to do the lottery of who they, they might have a lottery of who gets to attend the keynote in Steve Jobs Theater. But for the rest, I think the online format works for that very well. Yeah. And I think kind of like the, the quick talks thing that I really liked from DevOps days, I noticed with the WWDC talks, they've not shied away with having shorter talks that are more concentrated, like, hi, I'm Mike Boylan talking about one thing, or, you know, we're talking about, here's a, a thing about shortcuts or something small, where in the past, you know, I, I think I went once to WWDC and, you know, these, they'd be super long talks and you're just struggling to find the knowledge, to find that one thing you're looking for. You're trying to find an engineer or you're trying to find someone to talk about this one thing that you care about. And this way with the, the, the great the recording sessions and hyper-focused, it's, it's like that quick talk idea where you can have a shorter talk and then you can find that and, 15-minute quick talks should be awesome. <laughs> Looking forward to it. <laughs> Looking forward to it. The gauntlet has been thrown down. And yeah, if you have any ideas for a hack night or other kind of stuff, we're just going to try and create a space in Discord where people can 
work together, code together. Maybe, you know, we'll have to uh, stream it live for the world to see how awesomely boring slash cool it is to just code and stare at code and check stack overflow endlessly. Yeah. Yeah. New tab, new tab. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much, Armin, for spending this time with us on the Mac DevOps podcast. Thanks for having me. How do we find you on the internet? We want to reach out and uh, thank you for all you've done. I am scriptingos10.com is my weblog. Uh, OS X, the old way of writing it, scripting OS 10. I'm also scripting OS 10 on Twitter and in the Mac Admin Slack and in the MDO YVR Discord and also on mastodon.social if you are Ooh. one of those people. So, wow. yes. You are everywhere. And uh, we thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us for another Mac DevOps YVR podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, consider buying us a cup of coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash mdopod. Support and encourage developers and IT to work together to solve problems for our community by supporting Mac DevOps. Buy us a cup of coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash mdopod. If you're interested in sponsoring the Mac DevOps YVR conference and podcast, send an email to hello at mdoyvr.com. Thank you to our awesome Mac DevOps sponsors. For the 2022 Mac DevOps Conference, we would like to thank Kanji, our platinum sponsor. Thank you, Kanji. Visit them at kanji.io. Our gold sponsor is SimpleMDM. Thank you, SimpleMDM. Visit them at simplemdm.com. Our silver sponsor is Adigy. Thank you, Adigy. Visit them at adigy.com. And thank you to our live stream sponsor, Mac Stadium. Visit them at macstadium.com. Our graphics recording sponsor is FleetDM. Please visit them at fleetdm.com. Please take a moment to visit all our sponsors. We could not hold Mac DevOps YVR without the support of our sponsors. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for joining us today for the Mac DevOps podcast. Thank you to our guests and thank you to our co-hosts. Today's episode was edited by JD Strong. Please like and share this podcast on your favorite podcast service. I love you in the morning and in the afternoon. I love you in the evening and underneath the moon. I'm able to hear you all the time. It is awesome. (laughs) So So many mute buttons to get confused with.